Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I made everyone in preparation because you gave me a little bit of a forewarning about what tonight's episode was about. In preparation, before I came upstairs, I made everyone have a snack. And so, (laughs) myself included. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm hungry. (laughs) And I'm MoGap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. I'm already stressed about tonight. I've been thinking about it. Which leads me to a funny story I have to tell you. Okay. I was getting this banana. I peeled the banana all the way back. And instead of eating it like a regular banana, I ate it like a total psycho in front of Russell. And he like, I I don't know what possessed me. Obviously, I would never really eat a banana this way, but I convinced him this is how I eat bananas. I peeled it back and I just started biting the middle and running my teeth down like corn. Like and then I then I held the banana long ways and stuck my teeth into it, ran my mouth down. He was like, what What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Freaking out. And I was like, what do you mean? This is how I always eat a banana. And he was like, no, it's not. And I'm like, have you ever really seen me? I don't really eat bananas often. I don't like them that much. I was like, have you ever seen sure. me eat a banana? And it was like, he was trying to think. I'm sure he has. But in his mind, he's like, oh, my God, is this really how she eats bananas? I've been with this girl four years. I'm about to break up with her over this banana. He was wigging out. It was amazing. I don't know what came over me to do that, but I mean, I ate it like a total psycho. It was great. Uh, I can't wait for him to hear this now, too, because now he's going to be like, I know she doesn't eat bananas like that. Oh, my God. He still right now thinks he eats bananas like that. Yes. (laughs) It was so great. Oh, you got to play the long game. I'm sorry. You probably have to cut that. I can't, though, because I had to like go up and immediately brush my teeth. He was like, so you just smashed the banana against your teeth? And I was like, yeah, why are you making me feel weird about it? It was so funny. It was amazing. I couldn't wait to tell you that. So I told MoGab at the end of last episode, she asked what we were doing this week. And I told her that we were doing Starvation Heights, like knowing she wouldn't know anything about it. And she immediately panicked. It was because I'd forgotten about this from episode five. I'm going to play a little clip. Oh, no. What I say? From episode five, way back in the day. All she had to do was get through these last 30 minutes and get on her bus if she wanted any hope of ever seeing Mark again. I think the worst part of this story is she doesn't get to eat. Oh. She was like really looking forward to that. And I like really can't handle the thought of people being hungry. That's like a weird thing for me. Um, (laughs) No. Yeah. I've had to tell Russell, like, don't tell me when he'll like come home from work. He'll say like, I didn't eat lunch. I'm really hungry. I'm like, I need you to quit doing that because I'll start crying. Like, I have to think about people being hungry. So oh, no. you really mailed that home for me. Oh. 
I'm a basket case right now. I'm like already tearing up. I cannot handle I people being hungry. Totally forgot that you had that. And now it's like you told me two stories because now I'm thinking about the girl that didn't get her chips. Now I'm thinking about Russell being hungry. And now I think about this. I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. Look, everybody got some snacks before this. Am I like food insecure? I don't know what this is from, but I'll cry. I'm already thinking about people being hungry. I can't handle it. My God, did you hear the tiniest little meow? Yeah, is is he hungry? No. <laughs> I fed them before we started recording. Oh, get ready, Mogab. I know. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. I'm very sorry for this one because this week I got another serial killer for you. Buckle up because today I'm going to tell you the story of Dr. Linda Hazard who gives me major Belle Gunness vibes. Okay, okay. I remember her. But before I tell you about it, I got to give some major shouts. I got some major shouts to give. Oh, we don't just give out shouts here. No, major shouts. First off, major shouts to Greg Olson and his book Starvation Heights, which was my main source of information for this episode. Very well researched. Research, I didn't do any of it. Oh. Also, major, major major shouts to the newest member of the True Crime Creepers pod team, our new research assistant. Yeah, that's right. We got a research assistant. We got a team? We got a team. We got a, We got another member, a third member. Hey! That is Sabrina Eads, who was an unbelievable help in researching this case. Could not have done it without her. Thank you so much. They're all awesome. Sabrina, you didn't see it, but you just got like raised the roofs from... Race from K Dub. Uh, she's oh, she's <laughs> all right, boomer. Put your hands down. <laughs> I feel like that's a Gen Xer thing, right? Not boomer. I don't know. Can never be too sure. I straddle them. I think. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. I suppose. September second, nineteen ten, was a day that Dorothea Williamson would rue for the rest of her life. Because this was the day that her sister Claire responded to an ad in a Seattle Daily newspaper to ask for a copy of Fasting for the Cure of Disease, a book by Dr. Linda Burfield Hazard. Claire and Dorothea, who went by Dora, 
were extremely close and extremely wealthy. They were heirs to a fortune of nearly $29 million in today's money that they alone controlled. But they were obsessed with one thing, fad cures. What? What? I'm so... Cures for... <laughs> I've already lost. It's 1910. Who has that much money that are women? <laughs> All right. So they're obsessed with one thing, fad cures. But cures for what, you might ask? I have no idea because both Claire and Dora seem to be in perfectly fine health. Neither of them suffered from any serious illness, but Claire especially could not let this search for well-being go. I mean, they are very lucky at the time that, like, Google didn't exist. Or social media, Instagram. I feel like I have all of the issues when I look at skinny people (laughs) on Instagram. That's true. They might have had a little bit of a hypochondria thing going on. Dora convinced herself that she had acute rheumatic pains in her knees, as well as swollen glands. And Claire would complain about having a delicate stomach until she visited an osteopath in London who told her that her uterus had dropped back on her spine and her ovaries were badly inflamed. I'm sorry, is that for real? Is that a real thing? I don't think so. (laughs) But... (laughs) That certainly fueled the flames of her obsession with these fad cures. And both the sisters spent a lot of their time traveling to participate in these natural cures all over the world, including England, where they were from, as well as abroad in Australia, Canada, and the U.S. But a cousin once said that the actual cause of all their problems was their money, and that they were only ill because they could afford to be ill. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense to me, actually. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Now, when I say these sisters were close, they were incredibly close. Dora even said she'd never get married because no mere man would be worth leaving her sister alone. And Claire said the same. And Claire was turning down guys left and right because she preferred to spend time with her sister instead. Hmm. Dora was the older sister, and she took kind of a motherly role with Claire. This probably had to do with the fact that the rest of their immediate family had all died. Their father died when Claire was a baby, their mother when Claire was 14 and Dora was 18, and even their two other sisters had died from scarlet fever. This probably had a lot to do with the girl's obsession with finding perfect health, even though neither of them had been seriously sick a day in their lives, except for a time when Claire had diphtheria when she was young that put her in bed for five days. But other than that, they lived perfectly healthy, normal lives. They played tennis. They went on trips to the south of France where Claire loved to swim. But they had it in their heads that something was wrong with them and they wouldn't stop until they'd found the cure. Kind of like you and your cats, how you keep thinking they're telling you that you're dying and, you know, you think they're dying and it's a whole thing. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) They traveled the world, hopping from one fad cure to another, and they had a lot of extended family, cousins, aunts, and uncles that they'd visit while they were off searching for these treatments. Okay, but treatments for what, though? Like, just treatments? Basically, they'd convince themselves that because they had the money, they had the right to feel better, and they couldn't understand why other people weren't complaining about their ailments as much as they were. And that must mean that other people felt better than they did. And so they basically made health their number one goal. So I kind of feel like they complained a lot. Other people didn't. (laughs) And that must mean that other people felt better than them. And they deserve to feel that good, too. If that's true, I feel like there's a whole lot of complainers out there that aren't on a quest for health. Yeah, I just kind of feel like (laughs) they had gotten it into their head that they could feel better than they were. Got it. 
So Claire and Dora get this book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease. And after reading it, they were so intrigued, they decided they had to get treated by the author, Dr. Hazard. Claire began writing back and forth with Dr. Hazard, explaining their illnesses and getting advice from Dr. Hazard on what she should do to treat it. But she embellished a lot in her writings. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, they'd, they'd been feeling a little worn down and they weren't exactly at 100%, but it's not like they're knocking at death's door. They were both vegetarians and sought out other natural methods of healing, which they felt were superior to modern medicine. They didn't really want anything to do with traditional doctors, but this unfortunately made them easy prey for people like Dr. Hazard. Remember when I was vegan for like three months? I was vegan for three years. Really? Yeah. I was vegan for three months because I was doing really well, and then I went to Texas. Right. Was this all going back and forth through the ads in the newspaper? Or were they like really corresponding with the doctor? Now do we know? No, they had bought the book through the ads in the newspaper. And after they'd read the book, they started corresponding with Dr. Hazard. That's unfortunate. I was picturing a much more different version of the Pina Colada song. (laughs) 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 You know? Oh, yes. The doctor, who said she was the only licensed fasting specialist in the world, actually had no documented medical training at all. Wait, but her name's Doctor. Yeah. She just put that in front? Yeah. Oh. Some sources said that she'd been a nurse in the past, and others said that while she did have a medical license, she only got it because there was a loophole in the law that allowed some alternative healers to receive a medical license. This was in the early 1900s. This was before trained and educated doctors started advocating for their profession and started lobbying for laws that would prevent charlatans and quacks from claiming to be doctors. Uh, It wasn't until later that there were laws about like education requirements to be a doctor and licenses to legally practice and use the title of doctor or physician. So I guess at this time, it was a lot easier to just call yourself a doctor and set up a practice. Hazard claimed that she had all this training in fasting and that she'd attended osteopathic institutions, but she wouldn't say where these institutions were Mm -hmm. or what they were called. Mm -hmm. So... Either she's totally lying or something happened there that she doesn't want anyone to know about. (laughs) Little column A, little column B. (laughs) What we do know for sure is that Hazard never graduated from any osteopathic school. Sis. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Hazard's philosophy was that all disease or anything wrong with your body was caused by impure blood. And impure blood is caused by poor digestion. You had to rest your digestive system to allow the impurities to pass out of the body, and this natural cleanse would strengthen you over time. How does the blood pass out of your body? I mean, other than... No, the impurities would pass out of your body through your digestive system. Right, but they're saying the impurities are in your blood. Right, but that has to do with poor digestion. (laughs) Okay, Dr. Williams. (laughs) Doesn't matter how much you keep repeating yourself. (laughs) She said that the impure blood was caused by pure (laughs) digestion and that fixing the digestion fixes the blood. Do we still have to call her doctor? I do call her doctor throughout this. I wasn't sure what to call. We'll call her Linda. (laughs) From Laporte. (laughs) Her name is Linda. (laughs) Well, enough said, ladies and gentlemen. Just kidding. I shouldn't put that out there. My mom is a licensed 
medical professional. She's not a doctor. She's like a cancer nurse. Yeah, she's also pain in the... Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. So Linda's methods were basically to fast for weeks at a time, to take vigorous walks several times a day, and to get enemas several times a week. (laughs) I'm following none of those doctor's orders. (laughs) (laughs) Some of these enemas could last hours at a time. No, I'm more concerned about not eating and then walking. <laughs> right. Like, she also I'm more I'm more concerned with the just not eating. <laughs> <laughs> she also advocated a form of massage that involved pummeling her patients' brows and backs with her fists. Oh my god. Legend has it that she'd yell, "Eliminate! Eliminate!" Oh my during god. The meetings. Here's <laughs> Here's what I do know. They didn't have Uh happy hour or chips and salsa back then because no one is fasting and not eating when there's a thing of chips and salsa in front of them. Am I right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No happy hours here. As I am well aware from all the survivor I've been watching, humans can go without food for about three weeks before they begin to starve to death. But don't worry, Dr. Linda's fasts weren't completely free of food. That would be crazy. (laughs) She allowed two cups of vegetable broth per day and a whole tablespoon of orange juice, I think every hour. I mean, you could basically make a mini mimosa with that. Right. What more do you need? (laughs) (laughs) Vodka? Champagne. Your daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Many of her treatments would last three to four weeks, and the idea behind the treatment is that the digestion will right itself if it is cleared of all the toxins and poisons that had accumulated due to overeating and poor choices of food, particularly meat. But Dr. Hazard had known for a long time how dangerous this treatment was. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. No. In 1902, a woman named Gertrude Young had come to Hazard looking for treatment for her partial paralysis that had been caused by a stroke. And Hazard said, oh, I can cure you with a 40-day fast. 40 days? 40 days. Oh, Gertie ain't making it out of that. She's saying her partial paralysis is caused by the impure blood caused by poor digestion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I followed that. You you should have made me a digestive flow chart. Flow chart. (laughs) After about a month, Gertrude was in really bad shape, and she even reached out to her previous doctor, who told her that there was absolutely no way a fast was going to restore her lost mobility in her arms and legs. But Gertrude was desperate, and she told him she had to finish the 40 days. She died on the 39th day. (gasps) Gertie! An inquest was held after Gertrude's death, and Hazard got all of her supporters together to put on this big show proving her innocence. And after the inquest, it was determined that she hadn't broken any laws by using her methods. Mm. But I'm like, okay, well, if patients are dying through these methods, maybe let's write some laws. Yeah, hey. Against those, you know? Maybe we should put something on the books to prevent that from happening. That sounds like a lot of work, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, much easier to just ignore it and hope it goes away. I mean, it is the early 1900s. That's true. They also said that Gertrude could have broken her fast at any time, and she could have sought treatment from another doctor. But she obviously trusted that Dr. Hazard was going to be her miracle cure. 
And up to this point, Hazard just sounds like any number of quacks who practice medicine without a license and end up harming or killing people. I'd still call those people murderers. But Dr. Hazard seemed to be even more insidious than that. Ooh, well, with that last name, yeah. Right, isn't it perfect? Yes. I mean, she sounds like a movie villain. Cruella DeVille. That's what I'm picturing. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? It's so good. What, 101 Dalmatians? Oh yes. No, Cruella. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, in 101 Dalmatians? Oh. Cruella the movie that's out right now with Emma Stone playing Cruella. We're still putting Shut. movies out? I thought that like stopped in COVID. I've got a lot to catch up on. I thought we were talking about the OG. Oh my God. Emma Stone, is my she God. the redhead from Easy A that I really like? Is that her name? Yes. Oh, she's- That is Emma Stone. She's Cruella DeVille. Yes. Are there real puppies in it though? Does anything happen to them? I had to check. Do you know the website, Does the Dog Die? Oh, No. It's fantastic. I checked it in the middle. I'm watching the movie and I had to get on and check it. Does the dog die? It'll tell you every movie, does the dog die? But it'll also tell you any other like triggering things like is, does a child die? Is there an, an eating disorder? Is there this, that, or the, oh. like it tells you all these things and it'll go in and explain it. So I had it. I went on Cruella, does the dog die? Wait, it does it for books too? It does it for books too. I love that website because it lets me know like, I'm not going to go see a movie where a dog dies. Or if I do, if I like really want to go see this movie, I want to be prepared. I want to know. And so when I, I got on Cruella and I'm like, this is a Disney movie. Like, they're going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, does the dog die? And somebody had posted, all of the animals live to the very end and they are all adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Ooh. I can't believe this website. How have I not known it's about really this? really good. Also that it gives you like content warnings of for other stuff. Yeah, lots of things so that you can just kind of be mentally prepared and understand what your triggers are and then know before going into a movie if you're going to be triggered by something and so that you're prepared for it or so that you can choose to not go see that thing. So I love that website. I use it all the time. That's amazing. Yes. So where were we? Okay, so Hazard just sounds like one of any number of quacks who practice medicine without a license and end up harming or killing people. I mean, I'd still call those people murderers, but Dr. Hazard seemed to be even more insidious than that. Allegations started coming out that she had stolen from Gertrude. Her jewelry, which included precious gemstones that she wore as rings every day, just mysteriously disappeared after she died. Oh, no. Hazard said that Gertrude had given the jewels to a nurse as a thank you. But no one could find this nurse either. So after it was found by the inquest that she hadn't done anything illegal in Gertrude's death, Linda continued running her practice and people continued to die. Daisy Maud Haglund, the daughter of Norwegian immigrant parents, she died in 1908 after a 50-day fast. 50 at the age days. Of 50 days. That's longer than Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Accurate. Daisy left behind a three-year-old son. <gasps> Ida Wilcox also died that year in 1908 of starvation. And Viola Heaton and Blanche Tyndall died the year after that. Viola. I know. Maude Whitney died in 1911. And when Earl Erdman took the cure and died of starvation three weeks later, the headline said, Woman MD kills another patient. Like, it's just no big deal. Like, it's just... Like, it's just no big deal. Exactly. Like, nobody's doing anything about it. 
There were whispers that she was manipulating desperate people, using the promise of a cure to control people, and using the fast to keep them weak and unaware while she stole their valuables. Despite these whispered rumors, she was pretty good at keeping her failures under wraps and marketing the hell out of her success stories. And she did have success stories. Oh, really? People that had sur- yeah, people that had survived in spite of her treatment and felt like their health had improved. I mean, the placebo effect is a real thing. So on February 27th, 1911, Dora and Claire Williamson traveled to meet with Hazard at her office in Washington in the hopes of getting treated by her fasting cure. They'd made a pact with each other that they wouldn't tell any of their family about their plans because they thought that no one would understand, and they were worried that they'd even make fun of them for it. But so far, Linda's advice had been working. Dora was feeling great, and Claire was feeling much more herself. But she felt like it was too hard to stick to the program without being in a sanitarium setting, which I always thought a sanitarium was like an old-timey psychiatric hospital, Until like an we asylum. Pretty Little Liars. Did they call it a sanitarium? The Radley Sanitarium. Yeah. That's how I know that word. Okay, that's probably why I think that, because that was a psychiatric hospital. But apparently, a sanitarium is really just a medical treatment facility for long-term illnesses, not necessarily just the Radley Sanitarium. Man, I want to rewatch that. The more you know. (laughs) Anyway, Claire decided that she needed to be at the sanitarium to get the full benefits of the treatment. And because Dora was so indulgent of Claire, off they went. When they met with Hazard, they were disappointed to learn that the sanitarium hadn't quite opened yet because of issues like weather pushing construction back. But good old Linda set the girls up with a two-bedroom apartment in Seattle where they could start their treatment right away. You know what this sounds like? You know how you said this reminds you of Belle Gunness? Uh-huh. This reminds me of Billy McFarland and Firefest. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Because it's not built yet? <laughs> yeah, and just like, she just thinks she's a doctor. Like, he just thinks he's yeah. like a, you know? <laughs> Tech guru. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. And Hazard would have nurses and other assistants come by to tend on them. Without so much as a physical exam, the doctor told them that they didn't have a second to waste because their conditions were so serious. And she prescribed the cure to all their ailments. Fasting. I am screaming. There's nothing even wrong with them. (laughs) Exactly. They were giddy, beyond excited to get started fully believing in this promise of unsurpassed health. And they kept hearing all these success stories of people that Dr. Hazard had cured. They started the treatment while they were still in that two-bedroom apartment, and at first it went really well. Even Dora was a complete believer in the treatment after a few days. They both said they felt cleaner, and they were counting down the days to when they would finally be in perfect health. They couldn't wait until they themselves were the success stories. (laughs) Dr. Hazard herself seemed to take a personal interest in the girls, and they were impressed by the service they were getting. They even thought they might have made a new friend in her. She would visit them and quickly learned that they were extremely rich and that they alone controlled all their wealth. No financial planners or business managers for these girls. In other words, there was no one around to notice if it slowly started disappearing. But being the benevolent doctor she is, She kindly offered to store their valuables, like their fancy jewelry and the deeds to their property. What? What? Why does that need storing? (laughs) Isn't that a piece of paper? Put it in your wallet. I don't even know why they have it on You just travel with that? I don't know. 
Yeah, she said, no, 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 I'll take it. I'll put it in my office and then I'll take it to the bank for you. No worries. For sure. During their treatment, things went downhill for the sisters fast. They got weaker and they began to feel worse than they'd ever felt before. Fainting had never been on their list of maladies, but they started to faint constantly throughout the day. They had almost daily enemas that at first were half an hour, but it wasn't long until they were spending three hours a day in the bathtub having an enema. No, thank you. Like, they'd had to install canvas supports in the bathtub to protect them from when they'd faint during the enema. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait, an enema goes up your butt, right? Yeah, it goes up your butt. Yeah. Weeks went by, and their weight dropped so rapidly that the other tenants in the apartment building started to notice. Soon, the girls looked emaciated, Mm. with tight skin drawn across their bones. The other tenants would avoid even looking at them. They couldn't bear to see them. And one tenant said she could hear them all night, moaning and groaning in agony. But Dr. Hazard insisted that a few weeks of treatment and they would be in the best health of their lives. And she insisted on long, vigorous walks, no matter how hard it became throughout the fast. literally impossible. How does she have no issue? Like, she's watching people wane away, like, literally die. And she's not, like, one, worried about that, two, concerned, three, scared out of her mind. I think she wants them to die so she can take all their stuff. I, like, don't get that. Someone's brain cannot work like that. You don't think so? I mean, I guess not to hang out with you. You tell me these <laughs> stories. But the sisters believed her. They believed strongly that this was the way to perfect health. One of the nurses, Nellie, grew incredibly concerned about the sisters. Besides their appearance, there were other signs that if nothing changed, they were going to die. The liquid from their enemas was coming out milky, and Claire's stomach actually felt hard to the touch. She was so worried that she consulted another doctor who said what she must have already known. They were dying. That the girls needed food. Oh. Sorry. But, like, once you're that far gone, you can't just, like, eat a slice of pizza, right? No, like, you you've can't. got, like, no, you have to be so careful. By this time, Claire had been fasting for 30 days and Dora for 40. <laughs> but Nell, and I don't, I'm not really sure why there's a 10 day described, like, why Claire started 10 days after Dora. I'm not really sure about that. But Nellie said she'd tried to give them food and they had refused. They would not eat until Dr. Hazard told them that they could. In the spring of 1911, two months into their treatment, the sanitarium Wilderness Heights finally opened. The sisters had expected a lovely location with fresh air, sparkling salt water, and a forest covering to keep things cool in the summer. But it turned out to just be a compound made up of Dr. Hazard's house and a few crappy cabins in a wooded area of Olaya, Washington. Yeah, FEMA relief tents. Told you. <laughs> Oh, you're kind of right. You know, it. this also reminds me of like how someone can just brainwash like the Scientology of this whole idea of going clear and all of this. Like it's the same thing of there's this process to become a better human or healthier, you know? Yeah. Turns out Wilderness Heights had a bit of a reputation with the locals of Olaya. 
who started calling it Starvation Heights after seeing the skeletal patients coming into town for food, help, or to get a message out. Wait, coming into town for food? Yeah, like they'd gotten, they'd like broken away from Starvation Heights and gone into town. Oh. Yeah. My gosh, sounds like wild animals. It does. But most of the locals were Norwegian immigrants. Many of them couldn't even read or write or even afford a newspaper. And they had a very mind-your-own-business attitude to them. They tended not to interfere with questionable situations, especially if the people involved were more educated or of a higher class, which I think is a super common reason that rich people get away with stuff. The locals just figured it was strange rich people stuff, and they didn't want to get involved. Yeah, that bystander effect is real. Absolutely. Like, in all aspects of life, you know? Before the trip to Wilderness Heights, Claire made an addition to her will, witnessed by a lawyer, that left her books and jewels to a woman named Margaret Conway, who lived in Australia. She'd been her longtime nurse and companion. But she also left 25 pounds a year to Dr. Hazard, which is about... Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, which is about 4,000 US dollars today. A year? A year. But I think... So it was like coming out in increments. Yeah. And I think that shows that Claire wasn't expecting to make it through the journey. The fact that she's updating her will. But why would you update your will to include the person that started this journey? I think she believes her that she's curing her, but that she was so far gone, even though she was never really even sick. But she thinks she was and that she was just on death's door. And this is her last resort, even though that's not true. Oh, my God. The sister's room at Wilderness Heights ended up being in the attic of the Hazard home. It was basically an unfinished Mm. attic. Claire's room was blocked off by the window, and Dora's was on the landing of the attic, and they just separated the rooms with a screen. This was in 1911. There's no electricity in this home. But the sisters could barely notice the conditions of their new rooms. By the time they were transferred to Wilderness Heights, they weighed about 70 pounds. Claire, a little less. I just can't believe that they're down. 70 pounds. I know. If you're 70 pounds, how are you even climbing stairs and or a ladder up to an attic? I would send a picture to you, but I'm not going to. There is a picture. Of them? Dora. Yeah. When she was like 50 pounds. Yeah. Just picture a skeleton in a chair. I mean, that's what she looked like. Does she got a cheeseburger in her hand? Because if not, I'm not (laughs) interested. No cheeseburger in her hand. So Starvation Heights. Mm -hmm. Is the name, I've heard that, and there's like books or something called that. So mm-hmm. that's basically the nickname of this wilderness place. Heights. It was actually Wilderness mm-hmm. Heights, and they call it that because of all the people. Yes, the locals. How many people were in this? The actual number, no, there are, there were other patients at the house. We just don't know a whole lot about them, but we'll learn a little bit about them. Okay. Once they got settled into their rooms, aka the attic, The doctor's husband, Sam Hazard, came around offering to help them out with any correspondence they needed. He took their dictation and told them he would type it up for them. If they wanted to send any letters, just come to old Sam. But like his wife, Sam Hazard wasn't all he appeared to be either. Dora quickly picked up on the sense that there was something dark about Sam. Something wrong. Yeah, he married a murderer. Uh, Yeah, that's true. While they were at Wilderness Heights, Claire and Dora tried to visit each other, but Dr. Hazard wouldn't allow it. She said that seeing each other would distract them and prevent them from achieving wellness. I thought they just were separated by a screen. Yeah, but like they can't see each other. 
Dora was told that Claire was too weak to see visitors, and Claire was told that Dora was completely demented. She was heartbroken at the news, and Dr. Hazard told her that if Dora had any hope of recovery, she had to leave her alone. In spite of the doctor's command and her weakness, Dora managed to crawl across the floor of the attic to her sister's Mm. room and was horrified by what she saw. I'm, like, picturing – I can't even tell you. I'm, like, so creeped out. I'm picturing just, like, two skeletons – like, actual skeletons, like, crawling. Yeah. I mean, that's – yeah. By this time, Claire was little more than a skeleton in her bed, weighing no more than 50 (sighs) pounds. Oh, my God. She was literally skin and bones. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Claire sent Dora back to her own room, fearful and disgusted by her sister's appearance and so embarrassed about her own. Wait, 50 pounds? 50 pounds. Like, that's that's the weight of a suitcase on a flight. 50 pounds. Yeah. Dora crawled back to her room and her skin was so thin that it rubbed off on the crawl. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. Leaving bloody circles on her knees. Despite having convinced herself and her sister that the doctor knew best and that health was on the other side of this fasting cure, Claire must have had her doubts. Maybe it was because she'd started begging for food. And was just repeatedly told that if she ate now, she'd die. She just needed to hold on a little longer. And soon she'd be... So she could still die? Yeah. And soon she'd be in perfect health. Somehow, Claire had gotten help to smuggle out a message by cable to Margaret Conway, her former nanny that was now in Australia. Yeah, Claire. On April 30th, 1911, Margaret received a cablegram that said, Come, SS Merima. May 8th, first class, Claire. At first, Margaret didn't know what to think of this letter. She thought it was just Claire letting her know that she was coming to see her in Sydney. But she kept thinking about it because something about the letter really bothered her. Is it the SOS? No, it said SS Marama. It's a ship. So she thought she was saying that she's coming to visit her on May 8th on the SS Marama and she's traveling first class. 
But Claire would never have said that she was traveling first class. Like, Claire is extremely wealthy. It's just a given she'd be traveling first class. And she wasn't the sort that would flaunt it in a letter like that. Like, she's bragging about it. And that's when she... (laughs) If I'm flying first class... Not if you have $29 million. (laughs) Well, make me rich already so I can. I'm not sure. I don't know. But if that happens... Best believe I am going to send you a note that says first class. (laughs) Okay. Deal. And that's when she realized that SS Merima wasn't coming into Sydney on May 8th. It was leaving Sydney on May 8th. Claire was asking her to come. And immediately she felt like something was wrong with the girls. Is Claire telling her she needs to travel first class or is she footing that bill? Yeah, no, I think Claire was planning to pay for it, but she wasn't even able to get a first-class berth on the ship. It was all sold out. She had to settle for third class, but she didn't care. She knew she had to be on that ship. There was a stop in Honolulu, and Margaret went to the agent's office to see if she had mail, and waiting for her was a letter from Claire. And when she saw it, she was even more alarmed. Claire had always had very neat and delicate handwriting, but now the letters were all colliding with each other. It was sloppy, very unlike Claire. Margaret finally arrived on June 1st, and she was greeted by Sam Hazard, who'd come to pick her up. I'm shocked by that news. She asked him how the girls were, and he told her in a tone that she later described as peculiarly casual that Claire had died and that Dora was helplessly insane. Margaret was shocked, thinking that it must be a mistake. She'd just heard from Claire. She knew that the girl was ill, but that she'd been improving. She couldn't have died. Margaret didn't know anything about the Hazard Institute or Wilderness Heights, and she said it was just an awful shock to her. All she could do was sit and cry. And remember, it took her a month to get there. Like, she got the cablegram from Claire on April 30th, and she wasn't able to get there until June 1st because it's 1911. I can't imagine just being like, oh, yeah, she died. Like, yeah, what, in the that's car, like exactly like how he said like, it. Like, oh, yeah, Claire died. And Dora is just helplessly insane. But so glad you're how here. How was your travel? Let me show you around the yeah. place. How was the month-long third-class trip? Was Claire actually dead? Yes. As she and Sam traveled to Linda's office, Sam seemed completely oblivious to Margaret's anguish over the girls. Yeah, like, is he comforting her at all? No, he's just like, oh, nice day today. (laughs) They traveled to Linda's office, where she told Margaret that the girls had come to her in the worst conditions. She said Claire had been purple in the face and told her that she'd come to her to be cured or to die. Oh, my God, this bitch is trifling. Mm. Is she for real? Yes. She said there was no hope for either of them. She went through all the details of the autopsy, explaining how the only functioning organ had been Claire's lungs. And then she asked if Margaret wanted to come see Claire's body. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, Margaret was shocked. This was not a thing that happened in either Europe or Australia. They'd never heard of embalming before. But she agreed. And the body she saw was wearing Claire's dress, but she didn't look anything like the Claire she had known. She looked like a complete stranger. Her hair color was different. The tone of her skin was different. She thought maybe the forehead was similar. Hazard told her that Claire had said she wanted to be cremated and have her ashes spread in Alaya. 
which Margaret knew couldn't be true, but she couldn't argue with her. Yeah, like, she's not from there. Right. And then Margaret was taken to see Dora. She kept telling herself, it can't be true. Dora can't be insane. And she promised herself that she wouldn't lose Dora, too. By this time, Dora had been moved out of the attic and into one of the cabins at Wilderness Heights. Sam pointed out which cabin was Dora's, and Margaret saw what looked like a small child in the window. Why would they not? Like, I'm surprised they're letting someone come visit and observe all of this. They're not worried about that. I know. I guess not. They've gotten away with it so many times. Like, all these people have died. There was an inquest, and they were like, no, you're good. You didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, they're comfy. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) You sounded real country there. (laughs) Keep doing what what you're doing. But when the girl's face turned, she saw it wasn't a child. It was Dora. She pulled her in for a hug, immediately trying to get the image out of her mind and remember her for the beautiful woman she'd once been. But now she was a skeleton. Her skin was tinted blue and it was stretched across her skull. Hmm. But Margaret held onto her tightly. Does Dora know that Claire is dead? Yes. And Dora immediately begged to be taken away, and Margaret swore she'd do anything in her power to get her out of there. But the next day, she insisted, Dora insisted on staying and finishing the treatment. What? No. She said she was getting better every day. Margaret could not believe the loyalty to Dr. Hazard and this treatment, especially when it had killed Claire. But Margaret didn't care what Dora said. She was going to get her out of there. Yeah, girl, bye. Arrangements were made for Claire's funeral, and her uncle John in Portland was notified of her death. He immediately came up to Seattle. He was enraged that he hadn't been notified earlier of his niece's death. And Hazard said that that was Claire's decision, that she hadn't wanted anyone to know that she was getting this treatment done. And he asked how she died, and she showed him Claire's organs, and he had no idea what he was looking at. He wouldn't have been able yeah. to tell the difference between a healthy liver or intestine or and a sick one. So he took her word for it that she'd had cirrhosis of the liver. Isn't that from drinking? Yes. She's not even drinking water juice. Right. And I maybe you can get it from other things. I don't know. But Hazard then told him that Dora had gone insane and that he shouldn't talk to her or she could die. She said she was pretty <laughs> sure that Dora's insanity had been caused by menopause. <laughs> Girl. But when John went to visit Dora, she seemed lucid. She was incredibly frail and looked like she was an inch away from death, but her mind seemed to be working just fine. But she was not allowed to go to the funeral. Like the one person who wanted to go more than anyone was left behind at Wilderness Heights out of concern for her health. Couldn't go to her beloved sister's funeral. John saw Claire's body at the funeral and was immediately alarmed. The body looked nothing like Claire. And the body looked nothing like he expected. Like he'd expected a skeleton like Dora, but worse. But this body was not nearly as emaciated as Dora, who was still alive. Mm -hmm. There was never a clear answer on these observations of Claire's body at the funeral. There was never a clear answer on if it really was Claire or not. Like the description of the corpse that Margaret and John were shown was a plump woman, non-starved, with completely different features than Claire had. So 
could embalming have caused that much of a difference in the body? Like, I know it can change things slightly, but to the point where they don't recognize her at all. But it's also like, why would they switch out the body? But, but then, then if they did, that would explain why they don't want Dora there. Right. And, you know, if it turned out that they did switch out the body, that might show that Linda Hazard knew that she was culpable in Claire's death and that she was trying to hide it. Yeah, I mean, what difference is it at this point? Still two dead bodies. Right. I mean, at best, she knew she made grave errors in treatment and didn't want to be held responsible. And at worst, maybe she intentionally sought to starve Claire to death. Which I think she did. We know that. Yeah, I think so, too. Oh, my God. Is this going to keep me up at night? Well, it was over 100 years ago, so I hope not. We have good doctors now. Margaret stayed on at Wilderness Heights, watching the way that Dora and the other patients there were cared for. And each day, Dora's only meals were vegetable broth, water, and some mashed vegetables, like peas or maybe a tomato. Margaret tried to get Dora to eat more, but she refused. She was still convinced that she couldn't eat more than these two small meals a day without sacrificing her health. Margaret hated it, but she couldn't figure out what to do. All this time at Wilderness Heights also gave Margaret time to notice Claire's belongings all over the house, as if they belonged to the doctor now. Ah. Dora told her that Dr. Hazard had basically emptied Claire's trunk on her bed the day after she died and tried on all her gowns and jewelry. Margaret also discovered a paper that showed Dora had signed power of attorney to Sam Hazard on May 27th, just a few days before Margaret arrived. When Margaret asked Dora about it, she said she thought she was signing over papers to withdraw some money she'd wanted to send to her uncle. Dora started crying when she realized the truth. Margaret is the real MVP because I think I would be really freaked out mm -hmm. and not be able to hang with this skeleton of a person I knew and try and feed them and knowing that you're like on property of these two murderers. I just don't know she that I could do it. really is a hero in this whole story. Because there were several other events that prompted her growing suspicion, including a series of interactions that let Margaret understand that the hazards were monitoring all ingoing and outgoing mail for everyone at Wilderness Heights. I still don't know how Claire got that letter to her in the first place, that cablegram. I think maybe through the nurse. Hmm. So Margaret asked Dora, like, what's been going on? Tell me everything that happened up until I got here. Like, what was going on? So Dora told her everything that had gone down, even Hazard suggesting suicide to Dora after Claire's death, <gasps> saying it was because she was concerned for Dora's mental health, so she should just kill herself. Mm, yeah, that feels real supportive. Yeah. So Margaret's like, I've got to get you the hell out of here and away from these crazy people. So she gets in touch with her uncle John, and she tells him, look, you've got to come back down here and you have to get her out. Because he left. Yeah, he, he had left, left after, after the, the funeral. funeral. Yeah. So John comes back and he tells Dr. Hazard that he's taking his niece. And Dr. Hazard says that she has been appointed her guardian over Dora due to her mental incompetence. So John's like, the hell you are. And he calls his lawyer. And he, Margaret, and Dora made plans to leave anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, she can't just decide she's the guardian. Also, it sounds like Dora is very much with it. Yes, she is. Dr. Hazard, Linda. Just making all this up. <laughs> Linda. Linda. So Linda says that Dora still owed her $2,000 for her services, which is like $55,000 today. Okay, like, girl, please. 
Yeah. For what? She, You're not feeding these people. Right. For the room in the attic. And she wouldn't let Dora leave until it was all paid up. And John's like, that's extortion. But ultimately, Dora agreed to pay it so she could leave without trouble. So after nearly a 100 days, on July 22nd, 1911, Dora's cure ended and she escaped barely. A 100 with her days? Life. How is she still alive? A 100 days. Can you believe that? I guess, you know, holding on with that vegetable broth and stuff, like, kept her going. John, Dora, and Margaret went to Tacoma to help Dora gain weight and recover from her ordeal. Dora had gotten down to 60 pounds after having followed a diet that supplied less than a fifth of the calories required just to survive. So Dora's uncle, John, he contacted the British consulate, which FYI, if you're ever overseas, because they were from England. So if you're ever overseas and you are the victim of a crime, you want to contact your home country's consulate. That's the best contact to make. So the vice counsel comes to the hotel where they're staying, and he assures them that he's going to alert the authorities in Kitsap County where this all happened. John also hired an attorney named Frank Kelly to help sort out this matter of the guardianship over Dora, and they were able to get that whole guardianship voided. And the doctor was also ordered to pay back $973 of the $2,000 that they'd had to pay. So, Oh, good. But I'm sure she doesn't. Yeah, the judge in the case made it clear that Linda Hazard was a hazard to anyone seeking <laughs> her cure. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> oh, I definitely saw it and felt it. But holding Hazard accountable for her crimes would be a lot tougher and not for the reasons that you think. The state did not want to prosecute this case because they didn't think that they would win. And the county was so poor that they didn't think that they could afford it. So, and I'm not going to say this guy's name right, the British vice counsel, whose last name was Agassiz, Agassiz, Agassiz. So Agassiz, I guess, is the British vice counsel. He spent a bunch of his own time and money researching all the facts of this case, seeking out witnesses, finding out details that might help in the criminal prosecution of Hazard. Like, this guy really took this on as his like own personal he's the second hero yeah he even began putting diplomatic pressure on the county and the state to prosecute so eventually the da is like fine i guess i'll prosecute your stupid doctor they made dora pay for the trial wait what i've literally never heard of anything like this sometimes you're just too rich for your own good <sighs> and everybody knows I mean, about it yeah, that's what it seems like. A judge signed the warrant for Linda Burfield Hazard and charged her with the willful murder of Claire Williamson by intentional starvation. Yes. The trial began on January 15th, 1912. Now, the first hiccup they ran into was during jury selection. They could not find an appropriate 12th juror and the 12th chair of the jury developed a reputation as the hoodoo chair. Because no one chosen for that seat could pass the examination of the attorneys. And uh, I bet this has nothing to do with the fact that basically only white men were called for jury duty. Yeah, it has everything to do with that. Yeah. Finally, a jury full of practical, working class, American white men were seated. Protestant. You probably forgot Protestant. <laughs> probably. Which was not great for a hazard. And from day one, the media swarmed the court. 
The prosecution was led by Agassiz and Frank Kelly, who had helped with Dora's guardianship. And their story was that Hazard had taken advantage of two sisters who desperately sought a cure for their ailments. Hazard put them into a weakened state with her quackery, and then she stole their... (laughs) Yes. And then she stole their jewels, property, and in Claire's case, her life. Hazard totally denied this, and she said that everything happening was because she was being persecuted for practicing alternative medicine. The defense argued that Claire had come to Hazard as a last resort, and that her death was not murder, but an inevitable conclusion to an illness that no one could have cured. Girl, please, you killed them. Yeah. Witnesses testified on everything from the Williamson sisters' state of health to whether the methods employed by Hazard constituted accepted practices in medicine. Spoiler, they were not. (laughs) I'm more concerned about whose liver. Oh, well, I guess she just said it was cirrhosis of the liver. He didn't know if he was looking at a good liver or not. Right. I'm sure all of her organs were in total failure. I mean, they- Yeah, I mean- Yeah. She's 50 pounds or whatever. Right. Her body had shut down. Throughout the trial, Hazard and her supporters pulled off some ridiculous schemes to try and make sure the trial went her way. Hazard had one of her minions, James Watson Webb, go to Essie Cameron, who was a teenage nurse who had tended to the sisters at Wilderness Heights and had witnessed their severe deterioration. She was all set to testify about everything that she'd seen under the doctor's treatment when James Webb came to her, offering her a bribe while also threatening her. She turned his offer down, but he kept coming back, harassing her multiple times, including in front of a friend and her employer. Oh, my God. And Webb failed. Essie testified. And afterward, another of Hazard's supporters assaulted Essie with her purse and verbally abused her. Another blow to the defense occurred when the judge ruled that patients who had benefited from Hazard's treatment could not testify. They weren't allowed to testify. If they'd had success with her treatment, no testifying. I mean, I hate this woman, but that seems unfair. I don't think so, because I feel like this is obviously junk. It's killing people. So who cares if a few people have found success with it? It's killed people. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I agree. I just didn't yeah. know that you could kind of say. But when this order came out, James Webb, who's basically Chanel number two, stood outside of the court <laughs> the next morning, threw a hissy fit. He's screaming. He's cussing. He accused the judge and the jury of conspiring against Hazard. He said the jury should all be hung. So the judge called Chanel number two into his chambers. (laughs) And when Webb came out, he looked angry and defiant, but he shut up. Hmm. But that was not the end of the shenanigans. During the trial, when when defense witnesses were on the stand, Hazard started signaling to them, basically coaching them on their testimony while they're on the stand. Like a pageant mom in the back, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, doing the dancing, like on Mean Girls where she's like doing it. Yeah. You keep me young. (laughs) Yeah. No, sir. You need to take a seat. Yes. This occurred multiple times. And though the prosecution brought it to the attention of the judge really quickly, he allowed it to happen several more times before finally telling little Linda that he'd hold her (laughs) in contempt of court if she kept it up. Probably for his entertainment. He was like, well, if I got to sit here and preside over this, I might as well see some. (laughs) Exactly. One of my favorite anecdotes from the trial was when Hazard claimed to have studied at two osteopathic institutions, 
but she said she would not name them as they both ceased to exist. So the lawyer asked her on the stand, did you prove fatal to both? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. So, I mean, like, she already knew she was done for. I think so. It's like when you watch Judge Judy and, like, in the first five minutes, you're like, oh, you already screwed up. You know? You already know. As the trial drew to a close, the judge sent the jury out with the instructions that if the jury believed that Claire was of sound mind and refused nourishment, then Hazard should go free. But if they believed that Hazard had gained Claire's trust and advised her to follow a treatment that directly resulted in Claire's death, then they should find her guilty. And the jury came back with a verdict of guilty. Like, they were all unanimous. uh, She's guilty. But apparently, the thing that they most argued about was guilty of what? Half of them felt that she was guilty of first-degree murder, and the other half were split between second-degree murder and manslaughter. They finally compromised on manslaughter, and the judge, which I feel like they could have compromised on second-degree murder, but whatever. (laughs) The judge sentenced Hazard to no less than two years and no more than 20 years, hard labor in Walla Walla Penitentiary. And she also had her license revoked by the Medical Board of Washington. But did that close this establishment? Not really, because despite the fact that she'd had her medical license revoked and she would soon be incarcerated, patients were still showing up to be treated at Starvation Heights, and she continued to treat them. Because she's not really a doctor. She didn't, did she even really have a license to revoke? Well, again, there was, like, different sources saying different things, but... Like, the ones that said she did have her license said she got it through some loophole of the law at the time that allowed you to get it through these, like, alternative ways that would never be allowed now. It's like when you get ordained online, basically. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Or, like, you pay for – you, like, get your degree because you paid for it and they just Mm -hmm. send you the piece of paper. Like, yeah. Okay. So while she waited for her appeal – Two more cases of deaths at Starvation Heights came up, but no consequences came out of it because they believed that Hazard would be in prison anyway. So they're just like, right. And in prison for no more than 20 years. We could tax more years on that. So I'm assuming if they didn't care about that, they weren't doing anything about negligent, like Dora and all of them are just on their own. They don't care about any of that. No. Okay. Another death resulted when a man who read Hazard's book used her methods and starved to death, though she refused to treat him because he had no money, but he still was using her methods from her book. Yeah. Where's that book? Can you get that book on Amazon? Oh, God, no. Stop it. (laughs) No, I'm just saying, but I don't want it. I'm just wondering if that book is still out. Did they, like, keep publishing it? Uh, you can read it. It's, It's there. Download or read the full book for free on Google Books. Please don't read that book. I'm not going to read that book. I just can't believe that you can. Yeah. How can we read that book and we can't read Holding House from (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Peters? I want to read Holding House so bad. (laughs) I know. I'm not trying to pay $900 for that, but I can. I know. Why isn't it for free on Google Books? Come on. Come on. Someone buy the book. Every peep and creep submitted $1. I would not spend $900 on that book. There's no way. All right, so Hazard lost her appeal, and she reported to prison ahead of her incarceration orders. She viewed this sentence as a persecution, and she played up her role as a martyr. The prison required her to complete paperwork, and one of the questions asked for her account of her crime, and her response was, As I did not commit any crime, it was by persecution of the medical profession that I am here. 
I cannot give any account of it. <laughs> what? She felt so entitled. She expected more privileges or a better cell than the rest of the prisoners because of her professional status. But the warden was like, no, thank you. You're the same as everyone else, you gross, greedy murderer. Yeah, you also made up your medical status. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. She took up art, reading, and even edited the prison newspaper, but she was determined to prove that her methods really were valuable and beneficial. So she started fasting herself while she was in prison. Yeah, probably not by choice. You get like one bologna sandwich a day. <laughs> yeah, she, I wouldn't eat that either. She was granted parole after two years. What? Two years. Why? But her husband wrote to the parole board and said, actually, that's super inconvenient for me. <laughs> you oh, shit. <laughs> Shut up. He said because the bank had foreclosed on the property. He's like, so is there any way she could have her parole in California? And they were like, no, we need to keep an eye on her. We want her right here in Washington. But then the governor decided that actually, if she just could leave the country and I never have to deal with her again, I'll give her a full pardon because who cares who she kills in those other countries? Okay, that's awful. Yeah, so they moved to New Zealand and their business did so well that by 1920, they'd obviously forgot they'd been kicked out of the U.S. They came back to Alaya to buy back Wilderness Heights. Wait, sorry. What business did so well in New Zealand? The killing people? Business? Yes, their fasting practice. Yes. But what, like, they just killed a bunch of people and took their money? That's... Well, I'm guessing, you know, some people got over it. I mean, most of her... I don't know why she kept Claire and Dora so long. I think it's because they were so rich mm. that she wanted to kill them. But most of the time, the cures are like three or four weeks. And then she would go. The treatments are like three or four weeks. And then you go, and then maybe you feel a little better because you've been cleansed a little but you're not you know you're not getting down to 50 pounds they were on this thing that's like four months almost so that they just weren't eating when she was doing the like three to four week ones was she still stealing things do we think or she was just having people pay her we don't really know yeah i think she was just having people pay her i think she was like stealing things from the i don't know i can't yeah. i can't process in my brain paying somebody so much money for nothing Right. Like, she's just telling you to not eat. Right. And giving you a spoonful of tomato soup here and there. Which should have yeah. cost zero doll hairs. Right. But finally, Linda had the money to buy the sanitarium of her dreams. She built a beautiful three-story building that even the community saw as an object of pride. Linda continued to have run-ins with the law throughout her life, mainly for practicing medicine without a license, that pesky medical board. <laughs> Another patient died due to her fasting treatment, but she was only fined $100, and she never saw any jail time. I'm sorry, we're fining people $100? Right. For killing someone? Right, which I guess if 25 pounds is $4,000, I guess $100 is like... Four, eight, twelve, like $16,000. So I guess that's a little. Yeah, but still. A lot, but still. But in 1935, the sanitarium burned down. Everyone kind of thought that her son did it, or maybe her husband had something to do with the fire. But Linda herself blamed the telephone operator that didn't get to them in time to help. 
That's who she blamed for the Linda's fire. Linda's got a real problem with ownership. Also, I didn't know she had a kid. Yeah. Yeah, they did not get along. Yeah. She had two. She had a son and a daughter, and both of them hated her. Oh my God. Talk about body image issues that daughter's probably got. No kidding. Three years later, Hazard became sick, and she decided that she would once again fast herself to prove to the world and everyone else that her methods were life-saving, once and for all. But they weren't because humans need food. And after a few weeks of the fast, she died. Linda Hazard died of starvation. What a turn of events, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Plot twist. What? Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she died of starvation, died of her own methods. I could have Which done without this it, story time tonight. It really does make me wonder, because she was so insistent on proving that she was right, it makes me wonder how much of what she did was because she really believed that it would work and how mm-hmm. much of it was she wanted to rob people. Like, I don't okay. think it was all like one or the other. Oh, I feel zero sorry for her. Oh, no, she was definitely a massive narcissist. It was. It certainly was not out of wanting to help people that she was doing this. She wanted to be the smartest one in the room. She wanted the accolades of being this brilliant doctor that like came up with this cure and she was highly sought after. And that's what she wanted. You could tell that when she went to prison and she expected all the special treatment and all of that. But well, and she killed, she kept Clarendora for so long because they were so rich. And yeah, you know, I don't she dumped out all of her that. things and was wearing her gowns and the stuff's all over the house. Like, no. Yeah. The thing I can't get past is, like, if I'm doing this, this is what also makes me think she doesn't even realize. If I'm doing all this, I'm not inviting spectators in to stay for weeks. Like, Margaret stayed there and got Dora out. again, so doesn't that kind of support that she, like, really thinks that this is a cure and that they're on their way to perfect health? They just have to get past this hump of organ failure? God. (laughs) Like, (sighs) I I don't know. And... Dora Williamson, she went on to marry a vicar in 1914, and she maintained a very close friendship with Agassiz, Agassiz, the consul. Sounds like a Greek god. consul, I know. Sounds like a tennis player. I think I'm thinking of uh, (laughs) Andre Agassiz and his wife. And of course, she maintained a close friendship with Margaret Conway. Speaking of Margaret, she obviously saved Dora Williamson's life, who would have died like Claire if she hadn't gotten her out. But while she was there, several other patients asked for her help as well. And when Dora left, yeah, when Dora left, they were all also able to get out of there. And Margaret said she became a lot more assertive after this experience. She was less willing to keep quiet because she said that sometimes knowing one's place can be harmful to everyone. Hell yeah. Say it louder for the people in the back. Mm -hmm. That's bystander behavior. 100%. Yes. Let's not mind our business, people. See something, say something. I think that's from TSA, but you know. That's the FBI anti-terrorism proclamation. I support that too. See something, say something. It can't really be known how many people... We we use that as our anti-bullying slogan also at school. (laughs) See something, say something, eat something. Oh, there you go. Everybody go have a snack. It can't really be known how many people Hazard starved to death with her treatment. Estimates go from 12 to 20 to 40 and up. But to know the real number, we'd also have to decide whether the book she wrote would count. If people that read her book and followed her treatment to the letter and died, like, would those deaths be attributed to her? 
I say yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. And that's the story of Linda Hazard and Starvation Heights. <sighs> I can't believe I made it through that. I can't either. I'm so proud of you. With only I one didn't granola even, bar. I didn't cry. I did have a granola bar. I did have to take a calming gummy. It did happen but. 100 years ago. I think that's helpful. Hey, peeps and creeps. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. We would love for you to follow us on social media at Creepers Pod and join the Facebook discussion group. You can also email us any feedback, case suggestions, or just email me and let me know what your favorite snack is and that you're really not hungry, please, for the love of God. And our Facebook group is True Crime Creepers Podcast Discussion Group, I believe. It's so much fun. Please join us in there. We're having a great time. And also a huge thanks to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts. They help us out so much. And we are like just a few away from 200 ratings and reviews. So if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps.